the coolest things about making wine is it's a little bit of art, it's a little bit of science, but it's all very tangible. Being able to see an actual product that you made, and it's not a product that goes in a line and a machine does it, it's people. So every time you pull a bottle of our wine off the shelf, I can promise you that I've touched that bottle of wine. I was there when we bottled it. So it becomes a very personal thing, it's very tangible. Welcome to the By the Stream Media Podcast. My name is Matthew Butcher, and today we're going to be talking with the owner of Cristoval Vineyards, which is Bart Neff. Bart, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in. Um, really, I, we've had a relationship for mm-hmm. a little while, um, yep. doing some design work and stuff together. Um, I think maybe when y'all first got the vineyard, is is somehow we got in contact. I'm not really sure now. It's been a while. I but think we needed you for a logo. We were trying to, to set up a new right. logo. Yeah, that's right. We updated your logo, created mm-hmm. a new one. From there, I think we ended up doing like some labels, labels? and that kind of thing. Um, and we can kind of talk about that kind of stuff. I, I remember, though, that label was one of my favorite things because I got to see it in the HEB grocery store. That's right. I was right. like, that's, that's so cool. I get used to seeing stuff on like TV or billboards, that kind of thing. But it was like it was something new to see a design in the grocery store. Well, you, you know, you you brought up one of the coolest things I'd have to say about doing what we do now. You know, it's a big change from you're doing a corporate job early in your life or whatever. When we bought the place, I'd say I didn't recognize this at the time, but one of the coolest things about making wine is it's a little bit of art, it's a little bit of science, but it's all very tangible. You're there. And so being able to see an actual product that you made, and it's not a product that goes in a line and a machine does it, it's people, right? So every time you pull a bottle of our wine off the shelf, I can promise you that I've touched that bottle of wine, right? I was there when we bottled it, or my staff were there, my daughter was there, right? It's kind of a family thing too, right? Yeah. So it becomes a very personal thing. It's very tangible. That's one of the coolest things about, about doing, making wine. Okay. So. so for people that may not know, kind of give me an overview of what your business is and, and what okay. is Cristobal Vineyard. Uh, Cristobal Vineyards, we call it Cristobal Vineyards, but it's Cristobal Vineyards and Winery. Okay. It's also a venue. So we kind of have multiple businesses hidden with them. One is a venue where we do weddings and parties, corporate events. Um, we call it the chapel. It's a very, very nice chapel. So it's primarily tailored towards weddings. So that's one. Uh, then we also have the vineyard. The vineyard's there to grow grapes. Uh, we have about now we have about six acres of grapes, and that accounts for about half of all we produce. About half the wine that we make comes from our own grapes, okay. and the other half comes from grapes that we buy up in the high plains or or from someone else. Okay. Uh, so you have a vineyard, then you also have a winery, which is fairly unique in Texas. Um, not a lot of wineries have significant vineyards. They'll have maybe a token vineyard or something like that to give it the look and the feel. Um, But they don't generally grow as much. In Texas, you see more dedicated wineries and more dedicated vineyards. Okay. And uh, so we're a little bit unique in that respect. And then uh, then we're also a tasting room, right? So we're selling our own product right there on the property. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of a destination winery. It's meant to be beautiful and relaxing and a place for you to go spend some time. So uh, that's kind of all wrapped up in there together. So, yeah, no, it's definitely a, a beautiful place. It's got that that old church, and everything's kind of more established, but it's still nice. It doesn't feel like run down. Like you have that that right. tasting area that you have that's beautiful. But like the church, especially, how old is that church? That's it, been 
It's not old at all. It's not? No, it was built to look old. So when they, uh, the church was actually built in uh, 2011. Okay. Um, But when they did it, they wanted it to be authentic. So the the winery, again, this is very odd for West Texas, right? Yeah. um, But it's reminiscent of what you would find in the south of France or maybe northern Italy. Yeah, Yeah, it is. So when they built the chapel, they didn't want it to look like some uh, new steel building or some redneck place, right? So they built it to to look like a 19th century French chateau. So even the doors are all like custom made, custom okay. wood with old style hinges and old style framing. Yeah. So it's a little bit leaky, a little bit creaky, uh-huh. but that's all on purpose. Right. right? Well, it fooled me. It's, I thought... We have yeah. people stop there. Usually once a month, someone will stop by and ask us uh, how long the church has been there. Yeah. Uh, and they're a little freaked out. They think it's been there 60 to 100 years. Yeah. And it's been there 11. Okay. But yeah, that's kind of the, the cool feature of it. Yeah. Well, that, that's really neat, and then just having that that vineyard that's right there, right behind it, yep. like it's it's beautiful. I've actually shot some weddings out there before, and it's such a cool backdrop to all that, and then just having that tasting area that's over off to the side. I, I've been to some, I feel like I've been to like a meeting or something that happened out there once. I think we had a Chamber of Commerce meeting yeah. uh, that you may have been at. Yep. yeah. And yeah. so it's it's a beautiful place. And how did you find it? Because you didn't build this; it was already there. Yep, it was a. It's kind of a crazy story. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I was just thinking about that this week. I had some old college buddies okay. that were going to be in town, and they called me and they wanted to come visit mm-hmm. because since I've seen them last, I moved here and we, you know, bought the winery. The last time I saw my college buddies was the night that I heard about the winery. So. Okay. Uh, the winery was built by Drex and Nancy Vincent, and they're San Angelo family. They've been here and uh, a big San Angelo family. Well, I went to college at ASU with their son Brian. Really? And we're good buddies. We've been. We're both chemists. And uh, later on in life, we ended up meeting up at Dow Chemical. So we both worked at Dow Chemical mm-hmm. for a while. Brian left and started his own company right here in San Angelo. Uh, so long story short, I was actually bringing my son to a college visit at Angelo State University. That's where I wanted him to go because yeah. we, we, we think it's a good school. And that's where I met my wife, Wendy. Okay. So um, She went there too? Yep. Both, okay. Yeah. So uh, so we're kind of big fans, and we think it's a good school and a good place. So uh, I brought my son here to a baseball camp, and that I just found out that some of my old buddies were in town. They were in town for various other reasons, and we met up and had dinner. And at that dinner, uh, Brian Vincent was there, and he said, hey, I, th- I think my parents are thinking about selling the winery. Is that something you and Wendy would be interested in? Wow. And I had never been there. I'd, I knew that they had it, but I had never visited it, mm-hmm. never seen it. And so on our way out of town the next day, I told my son, hey, let's go check it out. Let's just go see what it's like. Yeah. And I can still remember, I, in fact, I took video with my phone of us driving into in through the gate because I said, holy crap, this is... This place is unbelievable. This is yeah. not like you, anything you would see in West Texas. No, yeah. So uh, I stopped in, and I literally bought some wines, and I, I called my wife on from the car and said, oh, you, you got to check this out. This yeah. is a cool thing. And uh, I still remember she said, why would I? Why would we buy a West Texas winery? If we were going to do something, let's go yeah. to California. Uh-huh. I said, well, number one, we can't afford California. Right? <laughs> right. There's no way. Uh, but I bought some of the wines, and I took them home to her. And that's what changed her mind. She, uh, the wines were really good, really amazing. Yeah. So it became about both the property, the property for me, but the wines was where it hit hit home for Wendy. And she said, "Oh, this is, this is actually a big deal. This is something cool that we could do." That's cool. And that's where it started. That was in 2016. Okay. So wow. it took us three years to actually make it happen, but we bought it in 2019. Started up in April of 2019. 
Okay. And you've just been living the dream ever since. It's, uh, <laughs> funny you should say dream. Sometimes it feels more like a nightmare. But yeah. It's, uh, uh, you know, with COVID coming, yeah, uh, that was a big challenge. And, and the other thing, too, is you, it, you take on an endeavor and you, you're going to start a new business and you think you know what you're getting into. You probably felt the same thing. Sure. Uh, you start a place and you yeah. think you know what business is going to be like and then you find out, no, it's, it's different than that. Um, I love it. It's the hardest work I've ever loved. And I yeah. think I think Wendy would say the same thing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a surprise where you have to apply your time and your effort is different than where you think. Okay. So, well, it's pretty multifaceted because you have the the party aspect of it, mm-hmm. weddings, parties, that kind of thing. Um, then you have this whole chemistry side of it of designing the wines, wine and, making. And, yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk to you more about that. That's really interesting. But then also, you know, you have the side of running a business. Like you have to figure out the numbers and the pricing and get stuff into stores and mm-hmm. distribution. Like that's a lot. It is a lot. Were you anticipating all that when you started? Or? I, well, I knew some of it. So yeah. um, we, were, we had been shopping. We were trying to figure out what we would do next in our life anyway. Mm-hmm. We had kind of, but we were thinking we were 10 or 15 years out. We really okay. didn't think that we would buy businesses soon. Um, but it, you know, Sometimes opportunities come that are just too good to pass up. This just made yeah. too much sense. It put us back in San Angelo, which is something we care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like the area a little bit closer to some family, so uh, it just it just made sense. I forgot the question you asked. I forgot where you were going with this. Um, just kind of, what were you expecting it to be versus oh. what it what it became, or you know, all the now production and yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought I was reasonably prepared for some of the winemaking stuff. Uh, I am a chemist. Yeah. I've been doing chemistry for, for 20 years, so I thought I could probably handle that. Um, and we had still have the same winemaker, so I'm not, I didn't have to learn everything on my own. Oh, okay. uh, Drex helped me a lot when we came in. So I felt pretty comfortable that, that we could handle the farming okay. kind of side and the winemaking side. Um, selling wine out of the tasting room is pretty easy. Um, the surprising part, uh, I think would be the events, mm-hmm. um, and then also the regulatory and the and the other sales. Like oh. you know, we, we talked about trying to get into HEB. Yeah. Uh, gosh, to sell four different types of wine into HEB. Number one, we started it right before COVID hit. We had just started in talks with HEB right before yeah. COVID hit. Yeah. So that delayed it for a full year. Jeez. And then uh, we're just selling wine into two stores, just local just kind of as a test case, right? Yeah. But just to do those four wines in two stores took me six months. Really? Six months of work. And and it's not obvious. Uh, you know, the people at HEB don't recognize where, how much the world doesn't know about their system or their life, yeah. right? It's the grocery store world. Yeah. So when they say, well, you just need to get your vendor information into our system, yeah, uh, that's a month, right? Because you don't know their system, you don't understand. You've got to go yeah. do all the training and try to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, going to the other things to try to fill out your monthly reports for the TABC. Okay. Well, the TABC is knee deep in their own system. They think it's obvious. Yeah. But you're new, and you have to go figure it out, and you have right. to call people or go online and find resources. So yeah. everything takes four times longer than you would imagine because you just imagine I can understand their system. That's the problem. It's not that it's hard work. It's that you can't understand what they need. You've got to go educate yourself before you can deliver it. 
I got you. So, and they're not going to just hold your hand and say... They, they can't even hold your hand. They don't know that it's hard. It's like, uh, uh, I tell everybody, uh, I'm colorblind or partially colorblind, right? And there's nothing you can do that's going to make me see green the way you see it. Uh-huh. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Now, your job is, you don't even know that I'm colorblind. How can you describe the world to me in a way that I can understand if right. you don't even know that I'm colorblind? Yeah. So that's that's what it is to them. Your, uh, your expertise is in marketing and video and, and doing some of this stuff. Well, you don't recognize how strange and foreign it is to sure. the next person. Yeah. So you speak over their head or you talk about things like they're obvious that that really aren't to them. Right. So that's that was the big wake-up call. Everything gotcha. for the first year felt like that. It was brand new. Brand new. Yeah. So yeah. making wine was actually not the hardest part. It was all the other little things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Man, how much do you hate it when people point at stuff and say, what color is that to you? <laughs> I had a friend they, that they was, do it a lot. was colorblind, and they would always ask him, I think he was red-green colorblind, and they would ask him, what color is that? And I'm like, that's not how it works. Like, he could figure out what color that is because that's what he's learned it is. It just looks different to him. Then. I'll tell you a funny story how I found out that I was colorblind. I was, gosh, I must have been 24, 25 years old. Didn't know because I'm functional. You're dri- driving already. Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah. You, I can tell that the light is green. Yeah. A, they're always in the right position. Right, right yeah. Um, but I see green and I see red. Okay. The problem is, is uh, basically you have a an inadequate number of rods and cones in your right. eye. So I lose green in a field of red, where I lose red in a field of green. Okay. So uh, my wife, I think it was a birthday or something. My wife had gotten me a big birthday cookie. Yeah. And she was off work and doing something. I was in graduate school at the time. And she came home and she freaked out. She was like, oh my God, you're a pig. You made such a mess. I had eaten part of this birthday cookie, yeah. cookie cake, um, and I'd, icing had dropped on the floor. It was green icing. It was like okay. lime green icing. Yeah. And it turned into one of the biggest fights that we ever had because she kept saying, look at all this mess you made. And I'm going, where? Where? <laughs> oh, God. I literally couldn't see it on the, on the carpet. Yeah. And that's what broke through. It was that little argument. I was, she was going, I can't believe you can't see this. What wow. is wrong with you? And I literally just couldn't see the, the icing on the carpet. Yeah, okay. After that, I went and took a colorblind test. Okay. I figured out, yeah, you're colorblind. At least that explained it. You had the excuse that every husband wants. It still I'm doesn't sorry, work. Sorry, husband. I I can't see that it mess. It still doesn't I just, work. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just colorblind, I guess. Yeah. Man, yeah, I've tried sorry. that. It didn't work for me. But no. yeah, man. Well, that's that's crazy. But uh, so one thing I'm really curious about is the chemistry of of winery of of yep. making wines because you you said you worked with Dow Chemical. Mm-hmm. I assume that that is not the same kind of chemistry. Not in, any, like, not in any way. You don't drink any of that stuff that you're making over there at Dow, but now you're making stuff that it it has to taste good. Yep. Like it, it has a totally different effect. Like what what does Dow Chemical produce that you were working? Oh with gosh, they there? make millions of things. But I like I worked. Uh, I was an analytical chemist. I worked in okay. different groups. Basically, we were researchers for hire for different Dow businesses. Okay. One of the main ones I worked for was uh, the epoxy business. So okay. making epoxy resin. Not, okay. You're not going to eat that. Right. So. Yeah. The point is how fast that dries or how hard Correct. it is or the sheen or that yeah. kind of stuff, I'm sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, then you're like, okay, I'm a chemist. I'll just transfer that over to wine. How how did you do that? Well, it um, well, it's a lot of reading. Um, yeah. And talking to other people, of course, you know, with a winemaker, you can get your winemaker certification at uh, Texas Tech uh, 
Fredericksburg okay. in a couple of years. Okay. Right. So the difference was, um, I think what you would technically call me is a cellar rat. Okay. So they have funny terms for it in winemaking, but uh, the winemaker, uh, let's call that the designer of wines. Right. The cellar rat is the boots on the ground, physical manipulator, the person who does the work that the winemaker needs done. So winemaker may say, we need to add this or blend this and do this. And then the cellar rat goes and makes it happen. Okay. Um, So the nice thing is that the difference between those is, as my winemaker would tell you if he was sitting here, because he's we've we've had this conversation. He said, you could make wine bar. You know, all the details, you know, all the process. You can make wine. The difference is. How good wine? How good of a wine could you make? Mm-hmm. And that's more a matter of taste and style and your sense of wine. Yeah, which for me is is pretty far behind my winemaker. Right? He's he's been into it a lot longer. Yeah. And then the other part is, what do you do when there's a problem with the wine? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's often problems, uh, things that you have to battle: a bad harvest, um, um, light fruit, maybe the fruit quality is bad, or maybe your air conditioner goes out in your winery for a couple of days and some of your wine starts to taint a little Mm -hmm. bit, maybe go a little bit bad. How do you recover? He said, those are the problems that you can't deal with. Wow. Uh, And he's absolutely right. I mean, uh, I have the bulk process now. After about three years, I feel pretty solid. So if he had a sick day, I can I can manage in his absence, right? I can keep things going. He comes okay. and visits us about once a month, spends a couple of days a month. Okay. And then uh, a lot more time at harvest. Like he's there for every harvest. Yeah. Um, and I can manage pretty much everything in between. But the difference between us is really palate yeah. and, and kind of fundamental knowledge. So um, when you're going to make a wine, you may sit down. Well, here's the cool thing about wine chemistry. Um Almost 100% of what you do to wine is take things away. There's nothing that you really add to wine. Okay. Very, very few things. Yeah. Um, if we harvested some grapes and maybe we had to harvest them a little bit late and they're low in acid, so they as they've ripened, mm-hmm. um, maybe they get too far on the ripeness scale and they're actually going to spoilage. Well, as you're doing that, uh, the acidity is going down in the grapes as they okay. go to rot. So you might want to add some more acidity back into the wine yeah, to 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 get the right kinds of flavors, um, and and kind of keep it stable. And is that just like a chemical that you're adding? Is it's tartaric it acid. Kind of, okay, it's, uh, okay. It's, it's the acid that's already in grapes. Yeah, so you can actually harvest grapes to refine to to uh, extract tartaric acid. Okay. So some companies do that, or you can get it from other places. But we buy tartaric acid basically to back add. Sure. So that's something we might add. Um, but fundamentally, most of the things that you do is you allow wine to ferment and then you allow it to age. And as it ages, things fall out of the wine or okay. um, polymerize in the wine. That's a chemistry term, right? Yeah, so, I don't know what that means. Um, so when 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 that there's a bunch of flavors and tannins that are in wine, and as yeah. they as they age and oxidize a little bit, sometimes they'll combine. Okay. And if they get big enough, we call it a polymer, right? And polymers okay. are hard for you to taste. So over time, as the wine ages, some of the things polymerize and they either fall out of the wine and actually settle to the bottom of the tank. Okay. Or some of them just get so big, maybe they're still dissolved, but they're so big you, you can't taste them anymore. Okay. And that's really the aging process. So as the wine ages, some things start to fall away and that reveals other flavors or other tannins that are in the wine okay. that you didn't, you couldn't detect before because other things were overwhelming them. Yeah. So that's basically the process of aging the wine is letting that stuff fall away. And hopefully what you're doing is you kind of keep revealing a better and better product. Mm-hmm. That's fundamentally what you do. Wow. Man, it, I, I can't imagine just how much 
babysitting that takes, you know, how much looking at it. It's, it's, I don't know, I guess in my mind it was always squeeze the grapes, put it in a jug, and then let it sit, and then it's done. But you're really, like, testing yeah. it. Are you, like, <clears throat> is it just pour a glass, taste it, see how it is, or is it <laughs> There's like a lot of that. You have a lot of, like, little test strips, like a pool kind of thing? No, there's, there's like... really not that much to, there's not a whole lot to test other than, I mean, flavor's a big one, right? Okay. So, yes, you're, you're tasting them as you go. Um, every month, yeah. Uh, you, at least every month, you're going to want to try to taste the wines as you have them in tank or in barrel, mm -hmm. as you're aging them, um, as you do different things. So we do crazy things. Like uh, one of the things that surprised me most when you're making wine, one of the main things you add is is clay. Okay. You'll take uh, bentonite clay, stir it up, and get it wet, uh -huh. kind of as a slurry. Yeah. And you'll add that to the wine, and it acts like uh, basically like activated charcoal or something. Yeah, like that a filter. Will, stuff will stick to it. Okay. And as the clay settles to the bottom of the tank, you're pulling things out of the wine. Interesting. Sometimes some negative flavors. Mm -hmm. um, here's a good example of a negative flavor that you would find in wine. When we talk about aged wine versus young wine, Mm -hmm. New wine, right? When you first ferment the wine, you harvest the grapes, you pitch the yeast, add some nutrients. Um, the yeast ferments all the sugar to alcohol, and in about 10 or 15 days, you've got wine. Okay. It's done. So why do we age it for 18 months or 24 months or 36 yeah. months after that? Well, <clears throat> one of the big things that's in wine is a tannin that comes from the seeds or from the green stems and green leaves called uh, pyrazine. Mm -hmm. It's also one of the, the tannins... It's bell pepper flavor, green bell pepper. Okay. So when you have a young wine, it tastes very strongly of that green bell pepper flavor. That's from all the okay. pyrazine tannin that's in it. Well, yeah. over time, you'll age that out, and the wine will become less and less green mm -hmm. and become more flavorful. So that's that's one of the specific things that we kind of age out. And things yeah. like adding, um, adding bentonite clay or something can help speed up that process. Okay. It can also really screw you because if you add too much, you'll suck out the things that you wanted. Take out right? all the flavor. And now you have a very bland kind of a wine okay. with no body. Okay. So. so what would be the difference between something like a port wine where it's super, super sweet, mm -hmm. but also very highly alcoholic or something like a Merlot or something that's like spicier or, you know, that yeah. stronger kind of... Taste, like. A lot of that comes from the grapes themselves. Okay. So you'll buy different types of grapes. Uh, talking about spicy, I'd say uh, Merlot is on the less spicy side. Tempranillo is on the more spicy okay, side. Yeah. Tempranillo is a classic Spanish grape. My uh, uh, knowledge of wine names is very so, small. Uh, my, yeah. my knowledge yeah. is uh, this much above okay. yours, right? Okay. Now. And by the way, we're in Cristobal, so we do not believe in wine snobs. Yeah. We just say there's two kinds of wines, the wines you like and the wines you don't. Nice. That's all. Um but the the type of wine grape that you use makes a huge difference. So, okay. and Texas does a really cool job. All these wineries in Texas kind of specialize or focus on very different varieties of of grapes. Okay. Things that you wouldn't necessarily hear. Everybody knows about Cabernet Sauvignon mm -hmm. or uh, Chardonnay. Yeah. Well, those are mainstream words. grapes, right? Well, yeah. Texas goes a little bit crazy. Texas has all these different kind of microclimates, and certain types right. of grapes grow well here that don't grow well elsewhere. Yeah. So on our property alone, we have uh, Vermentino, which is an Italian white. And the, the way I tell people is it's like a Pinot Grigio because most people have tasted a Pinot yeah. Grigio. It's very much like that. But it's not that, right? It's different. Yeah. Um, we have Tempranillo, which is the Spanish red, Rioja. Mm -hmm. um, really, it's I call it the unofficial state wine of Texas. Um, it's very big in Texas and uh, very well received as a Texas wine. 
and then we also have Petit Sirah. That's what we grow. Mm-hmm. I just planted Sangiovese and Petit Verdot. So that's literally, what is that, five different varieties that I have on my property. Whereas if you went to a winery in California, you may find they just do Merlot. Mm-hmm. or they may just do Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. And then they're really focused on the style of the wine. So everybody there is going to do Cabernet, mm-hmm. but they're going to put their own stamp on it, their own okay. style. Where in Texas, we branch out a little bit more and grow a bunch of different crazy things. Right. And it's more like being in Europe, because in Europe you would go to each individual area and they would specialize in their particular kind of grape, okay. and their local terroir, and, mm-hmm. and kind of do it that way. So Yeah. So are there types of wines or, or grapes or whatever that do a lot better here, like in Cristobal, than they might somewhere else? Or? I, I don't know that I can say that. I can say that, for example, Cabernet Sauvignon was one of the grapes that they originally planted. So the, the property that we have has been a vineyard for many, many years, going back to the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the first person tried to plant grapes, they planted Riesling and Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, the Riesling did great. And the Cabernet Sauvignon was terrible. It uh, it did, couldn't really grow. Yeah. Um, it has a long growing season, and our summers are so hot. Yeah. That it literally beat the hell out of the Cabernet Sauvignon. It just did not work. It so do it. that's yeah. not a grape that you want to grow here. Okay. As opposed to uh, Tempranillo, which absolutely loves it. Right. It's uh, okay. And we have some of the most vigorous vines I've ever seen growing on our property. It's pretty unique. Really. Right? So. Like yeah. just in general or this year specifically? Just or? in general. Okay. In general. Well, and we, and we also have that weird feature that we're we're situated between the South Concho River mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the old irrigation canal in Cristobal that's 150 years old. Okay. So our Tempranillo Vineyard sits between those two things. So it has a lot of, a lot more water. Really? Maybe than a typical uh, Lubbock Vineyard or right. something like that. Okay. Are you... Just like underwater or, or you know, the, the ground level water, is it just pulling from that, mm-hmm. from there, or are you having to irrigate? I, I also irrigate, okay. but um, in fact, we have the new vineyard that, vineyard that I planted. Um, it's actually lower than the canal next to it. So the bottom oh. of the canal is actually above the ground level. Yeah. So that makes for an interesting experiment. How yeah. do the grapes grow there? How you may not grow? have to irrigate because it's naturally <coughs> the groundwater. Right. Level is going to be higher there than other places. That's, That's cool. Right. Interesting. So what's it been like this year with it being like 110 degrees outside and like ridiculous? Like we, I don't know how many days of over 100 degree weather we've had lately, but it's bacon out there. It is. It is pretty hot. Yeah. It's, it's one of those. It's This is the summer where you regret working in a vineyard, right? Because... Uh, <laughs> Because you're out there every day just... Yeah, it's steamy. Yeah. But but it's not uh, unheard of. I mean, uh, in 20, 2011 or 2012, mm-hmm. um, San Angelo or Cristobal, I know because when I talked to Drex and he was talking about growing there, they had over 100 consecutive days over 100 degrees. I remember right? that, yeah. So it's not unheard of, and the plants are doing fine. Wow. Uh, it's really more a matter of... Uh, it is difficult, so you do have, kind of have to watch your water. They get a lot of water from the soil where we are, so we're kind of lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can irrigate, which is a big deal. So if you were a vineyard and you were having to pay for city water oh, man. or something like that, this could really be a problem. Yeah. For us, it's not. We, yeah. have, a, we have a good well, and, and we're right there on the river. So we're in a perfect place to do this. That's cool. So we manage pretty well. The The temperature is not really the problem. What really matters is things like thunderstorms. Okay. As your grapes grow, early in the season, you want as much rain as you can get. Here's another reason why it's kind of cool in Cristobal, because what you want is before harvest, 
you want a month or two of really dry weather because as your grapes grow, they build up a lot of humidity in the plant. The plant is, is transpiring mm -hmm. all the time. And a lot of humidity can build up in there. And that can cause fungus to grow on the outside of grapes, right? So grapes are automatically yeah. kind of attract fungus and yeast and things like that. There's always ambient levels of, of all the, the sugar yes. inside of them. Okay. Um, and as the clusters grow and ripen, they get bigger and thicker and tighter. Mm -hmm. Well, then the airflow around those grapes slows down okay. and you can get a lot of fungus buildup. Okay. So you're always fighting that. So what you want is very dry conditions, which is, hey, so 100 degrees, it's pretty dry. Okay. Um, so it's good for the grapes. That's amazing. That is the opposite of what I was expecting to hear. I thought is like everything's withered up and nope. shriveled and baking, and we're going to have raisins this year instead of... Nope. <laughs> like, they're, they're doing good. Okay, that's so. awesome. And that makes a lot of sense. I know San Angelo, you know, there's plenty of companies that come here because we have more sunshine mm -hmm. per year than a lot of other places. We have solar farms here. I know the Goodyear driving track is yep. here because we have so many sunny days, and that's a benefit. So I guess because of that, you're able to totally control, you know, how much water is getting in on your stuff, aside from thunderstorms. Yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of a nice feature is, yeah. is, yes, I can water. So I monitor the plants, and mm -hmm. I, there's kind of some old... Um, I guess farmer knowledge or farmer tricks, the vineyard guys, I talk to them and yeah. they, they talk to you about how to know what kind of stress your plant is under, what kind of water stress. Okay. And so you monitor a couple of things and you kind of go, well, yeah, I need to put some water on this field this week. They're looking a little stressed. Okay. And, but when you're, when you're ready for harvest, you're actually trying to get the plants to stress a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't want them growing, you want them ripening. You, okay. you want the plant to put its energy into the fruit. So a little bit of, of water stress is okay right yeah. at the end to help them ripen. So you can kind of monitor it. And yeah. Now the, the hard part is, and again, that goes with the Cabernet. It also has a long growing season. Mm -hmm. And what was happening here is by the time the Cabernet was getting ripe, you're into late August and late August, we tend to get a lot of thunderstorms okay. that time of year. And that's the worst time for you to have a lot of moisture in the field yeah. is because when you've got all these big clusters um, and it's, terrible. It just makes makes some fungus run rampant in the mm -hmm. vineyard and it can rot your grapes before you can get to them. Man. So that we did that. Fun. And last year we harvested our petite sorrel. We harvested in middle of August mm -hmm. and we're always watching the weather and trying to plan. And I knew there was rain coming. So we set up to harvest on a Tuesday um, and we got rained out. I, you know, the Oof. weather predictions here are terrible. Oh, so yeah. you never really know. Um, but we planned to pick, and I had a bunch of volunteers and a bunch of paid guys, day laborers out to, to pick our field. And the sky just opened up and dumped on us. So we were only able to harvest about a ton and a half mm -hmm. that morning before the rain really hit. Um, and then so once the rain hits, now your field is wet. Yeah. And your plants absorb all that water, and then the grapes swell up with water. Mm -hmm. So their effective sugar content goes down. It's not like the sugar goes away, but the grape swells with Comparison, water. Comparison, yeah. So where you're trying to hit, let's say, 25% sugar in your in your grapes, now it goes down to 22. Yeah. So you need to wait. You have to let the field dry out, and you have to let the grapes kind of come back, the sugar content come back up, and you have to fight against uh, fungus, fungus that's going to yeah. go on the field. So we didn't get to harvest for another four days. Well, the difference between that, uh, and you can see it in the winery today, that first batch that we picked was just right, just exactly like we wanted. It was perfect. So yeah. now that's a, that's a reserve. Yeah. So it's in a separate tank. It's been segregated from the other petite sirah the whole time. Okay. So that's going to be our prime stuff. And then the other stuff that we had to get later, not quite as good. Okay. A little bit more fungus on it. So that causes other problems while you're fermenting wine. Yeah. So it becomes good, but not great. 
So now we've already broken it it's apart. Just dawned on me why people would say like, "Oh, this wine was a good year," or you know, that That's kind exactly of thing right. because of the weather that year, the timing of it. That I makes didn't. Sense. I didn't understand any of that when I started. Yeah, I n- I never knew why. I just assumed yeah. they were happier that year, and I don't, I don't. Something went better, but yeah, that makes sense why the year would matter because the weather matters. Yes, and that changes every year. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, y'all obviously produce really great quality stuff. As a, a testament, you have a lot of awards and different things that you win. You want to tell me a little bit about some of those awards that you have? Sure. Or, yeah. I, you know, I think that's one of the things that uh, that we took very seriously. I would say I was not a wine aficionado when we started, right? Yeah. Wine was really my wife's gig. She was okay. more a fan of wine. Um, I was just more into it for, hey, let's go into business. Let's have our own business. And this is as good as any other. Yeah. That was my approach. Um, but one of the things that really kind of turned her on or, or made her take this this business idea seriously was the awards that the, the winery was winning. So they have a history, this winemaker, Bill Scrappitz, I'll give him a little plug, uh, Premier Wine Blends. So we're one of his biggest customers. Uh, we're probably, I don't know how much of his business he devotes to us, but it's significant. Yeah. Um, so he can help other wineries with their wine. Uh, so he's not beholden to us, but he spends a lot of time with us. And he's been doing it at this vineyard for 12, 10 years. Mm-hmm. So he was with the previous owners. He transitioned with us as well. Um, and he's really good. And his style matches our style pretty well. We like Mediterranean style wines, and that's what happens to grow well here in Cristobal. Okay. Um, and he's really good at, at finishing out those kinds of wines. So it shows in his, in his awards. I would say that every single wine, every single line of wine that we have made, whether it's Tempranillo, Petit Syrah, Roussan, every single type of wine has won at least one gold medal, I believe. Wow. Right? And so cool. what that means is when you go to a competition, they'll have a group of wine judges and tasters. And if they come through and everybody tastes your wine, and on average, if its average score is a gold, you get a gold medal. If its average score is a silver, you get a silver. Or none, right? Bronze, bronze, silver, gold, and then double gold. Okay. The difference is a double gold means every judge called it a gold. Okay. Right? Everybody judged it to be that good. Um, so... They've won a gold medal for all, virtually every wine that they've made. Not every year, not every single time, mm-hmm. but each each year we get one or two gold medals, um, or they have in the past. And what's really been nice is that has continued since we started. In fact, we we stepped it up a notch. I guess it was last year we sent some wines into the the largest wine competition in the world, the San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition, mm-hmm. and our Tempranillo won double gold. Wow. At uh, San Francisco, which is pretty cool. You've got a little winery in Cristobal, Texas. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, it's not, it's off the beaten path. It's not in Fredericksburg. Right. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're winning, winning seriously. And, and I'm really pleased because, as I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, just last week we got the results. So you send to different competitions throughout the year. Okay. Uh, and one of the competitions we send to is the Finger Lakes wine competition in New York. Okay. And so, 2018 Tempranillo won double gold at San Francisco, and we just sold out of it. And the problem with that is that contest happens late in the year after oh. we've already released our wines. So we're kind of at the end of our run yeah. by the time they give out the awards. Yeah. So it's cool to win, but it's not like you can make a bunch of hay about it because right. you're about to sell out of that wine anyway. Yeah, it's all gone. Um, the nice thing about Finger Lakes is it's early in the season. So as soon as we sold out of the 2018 uh, we started selling 2019, and then we sent some of that to the Finger Lakes competition, and it just won a double gold 
at the Finger Lakes wow. competition. So that's kind of telling yeah. you something. You're, you know, back to back two years. Um, you got double golds for your temperament. You know what you're doing. Uh, I, yeah, I think I, I can't take credit for it. I think Bill knows what he's doing. Our winemakers collectively. Really yeah, you got it going but, on. Uh, that's cool. But yeah, that's got to give you a lot of pride to know that you own that business and you're a part of this and growing it. I mean, you got to. There's something different with growing a plant. Like Very you're, much. You're, it, they're all little children. Like you have to make sure they're eating enough and taking care of themselves <laughs> and like you know. And so you're growing this, and then you harvest it, and you got to babysit it now and, and take care of it. And it's very, it's, very tangible. Yeah. I, I miss this. I didn't catch this in my, in my previous life, right? You do, uh, you know, the word today is knowledge workers. There's a ton of knowledge workers or, or uh, office workers, right? People that are dealing with their work through email mm-hmm. um, and through communications, yeah. Right? Which is a huge, just a terribly unfulfilling kind of life because your inbox never goes empty. And as soon as you do empty it tomorrow, it's full again. Right. Right. It's, it's like a never ending wheel. Um, the nice thing about, about farming is it's extremely tangible. Yeah. Um, you don't have to work when it's raining. Right? Yeah. You're not going to be out there in, right. in the field. Uh, but when it's not raining, you got things to do. Right. And your yeah. day goes by daylight. Uh, Cool little fun fact. Since we moved here, I don't set an alarm clock anymore. I'm literally a farmer. I wake up when the sun comes up, okay. and I, I work until I either can't, you know, just don't feel like working anymore, can't handle it anymore, or yeah. until the sun goes down, because that's the life of a farmer. Okay. But it's very tangible. You're right. So when you go to bed at night, you rest knowing you've done something. Yeah. That's a nice feeling. That is good. I'm learning a lot today. This is good. Uh, so is there any... Um, kind of like future goals that you have for uh, the Cristobal Winery? Like, are you hoping to... I know you already grew some other plants and, and like you're, you're mm-hmm. wanting to try out some other stuff or is that kind of the way you want to go? Or? It's Well, it's a couple of things. And, and again, going back to when you were talking about what is it, is it what you thought it would be? Yeah. One of the things I'm learning is is the logistics of the wine business are, are, are pretty complex. It's hard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you think about it, I planted a field this year that field will not produce usable fruit for three years. Okay. So even though I'm excited because I just planted a field, I won't even harvest the grapes until yeah. 2024. Mm-hmm. Okay, now they're red wines, so red wines are going to age for two years. Wow. So now we're not gonna, you're not going to get to enjoy the wine from the new field that I planted this year until 2026. Wow. At, at best. Yeah. You know, and then what if I make a reserve from it or something like that? Now, now you may be talking about another year. Gosh, the time cycle is long. Yeah. Well, so the next you asked about what our what our kind of plans were, or our dreams were. I think we'd like to bump it up kind of to the next level. We make enough wine to sell in our tasting room and to sell to local areas, and we do just fine. It's kind of the perfect fit. But trying to step up and say, what if we wanted some wines to be available in more grocery stores around the state? Yeah. Uh, make some wine available to distributors. Well, that's a whole different ball game. Right now, I, I'm just making wine for for us. Yeah. And I can see our sales, and I can kind of plan our sales. I can predict our customer base in the next year, and I can predict if it'll grow or shrink. But I can yeah. also observe it. Mm-hmm. The hard part is when you say, uh, right now we sell to two HEBs. What if I wanted to sell wines to a hundred HEBs or fifty? Yeah. Well, now I've got to kind of predict what that flow is. That's why our HEB sales right now are kind of a test case. It's a chance for us to learn how much do our wines sell in this local market. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they wouldn't sell as well in Dallas because people don't know who we are. Okay, I can kind of guess at that. But I've got to come up with a way to basically 
predict what our sales are going to be three years down the road. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very complex equation because I've got to start making wine today that I'm going to need three years from now. That's, that's tough. Yeah. And especially because wine is not, I mean, it, it doesn't last forever. And right. I also don't have enough storage space. So I can't, and you're tying up, that's another big one for me that I didn't understand is uh, you can make wine, but you're tying up your money. You're tying up inventory for mm-hmm. three years. So you invest, uh, I could go out today and, and buy a bunch more grapes yeah. and make more wines this year, make uh, yeah, a thousand gallons more wine. But I've got to hold on to it. And so I've sunk all that money into it and I can't get paid back for three, four wow. years. That's a, a little bit more logistics problem that's yeah. tougher. It's very tough. So that's, I think that's the next step for us is figure out how to do that. So we're currently expanding our winery. We're building in a barrel room, mm-hmm. a dedicated barrel room. And that'll give me more space in the winery proper so that we can put in a, a, an extra tank or two. And by doing that, we can basically just about double our capacity. Mm-hmm. So we'll have the room to grow okay. after this year. And then the question is really just about timing. How much do you try to put together at one time and bank yeah. it away for future sales? And if I do it wrong, then I'm saddled with a whole bunch of two-buck chuck, you know, the uh, yeah. the wine you get at Trader Joe's, right? So that's what right. that's what wineries will do. You'll find, uh, maybe you'll find a great steal. It's, my wife used to say that the real joy about wine is trying to find a $20 bottle of wine that tastes like it costs 80. Uh-huh. Well, that, that really happens because these wineries can go out and they can try to make production. They can try to have plans. And if they don't quite hit it right, maybe that wine is getting a little long in the tooth and they, can't, they don't have room for it anymore. Mm-hmm. And they'll sell it off at a discount. It could be a great wine, yeah. but you're getting it on the cheap just because they need to make room or, or uh, change their plans. Yeah. So okay, yeah, keep your eyes out. Maybe you'll get some, some really great wine cheap for me. Hopefully not. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> I'll make you pay through the nose. Right. That's right. You never know. Yeah. Well, you do have that one um, brand of the, was it Rambunctious? Rambunctious. Yeah. Which is kind of like your, uh, I don't want to say not low end, but what, like, what would well, it's you like call a, It's that? like a commercial wine, right? Yeah, so okay. it's, it's meant to be, we made that specifically for, to sell to places like H-E-B. Yeah. H-E-B was kind of our test case. Um, and it's, that's the other thing about wine is it doesn't really cost you more to make wine A versus wine B. Mm-hmm. It basically kind of costs you the same. Mm-hmm. across the spectrum. Some of those wines, you're going to let them go cheaper. You're going to take a, you know, maybe be a loss leader, Yeah. but th- th- because they have a purpose, right? I'm trying to get entry into the market or I'm trying to address this particular okay. uh, section of the market. Um, take, a, take a sweet wine. Well, Rambunctious Red is a great example. It's a yeah. sweet wine, a sweet red um, that typically is tailored towards a younger market, mm-hmm. right? Younger people want more sweet wines. You're, you're, more senior or more, your more experienced wine drinkers, maybe they want a little more body, and but they want a dry wine. Mm-hmm. Well, so we know going in, if we're going to make this wine, the price point is going to be important. So I can't make much money off this wine, but it's an important market to me because establishing that market late early right. means maybe I'll get them later on. I'll get them longer. That and brand th- recognition. And we'll move them up into kind of some higher-end wines. Hmm. Or uh, another thing, like a, a reserve wine, if we make a what we think is a really nice wine, that Petit Syrah Reserve that I mentioned earlier, yeah. that we harvested, that we think is perfect, and uh, we think it's going to make a really nice wine, the price point on that is going to be higher. And it's going to be higher primarily because we can get the money for it. It's going to be that good. So we have to make the money there because yeah. we're not going to make it on our Ambuxus Red, right? You're right. And at the same time, you're also taking a lot of extra risk. Like I said, as you hold on to wine, the longer you hold on to it, 
problems can come up. You can lose the inventory. A, a stupid forklift accident can ruin a barrel, right? Yeah. And then you've just lost all that money. It's gone. So you're trying to recoup some of those things off the great wines or the great moments. You're trying to recoup a little bit of the loss that you're going to see later on. Okay. So. Man, yeah. So many different things. It's very with, complex. With business, I mean, it, it's like that for us, too. You know, we do a lot of different services, and so you never know where, like, your next job's going to come how from. How much are you going to charge and, for the next video? Or the, yeah. when I call you about the next label, right. how do you decide how much that's worth? Right, yeah. It's a tough, it's a complex question. Yeah. It gives me new respect for all the people that have been doing it for all these years. Definitely. Um, that you just, you blow it over. You, you don't think about it, I'm going to go buy a car. Why does this car cost so much? You don't think about all the details that's gone into sure yeah well especially for your like i feel like our businesses are flipped in in as far as knowing what we're going to do a month from now like a month from now i don't always know what our next project is going to be and you know uh things can fill up yep as they come along you have to think about what you're doing like five years from now Kind of thing. I'm starting this. I'm planning yep. this field for in five years. Then we're going to do this kind of thing. And you know that that part of it, you have to think ahead a lot. And Can you imagine being a whiskey distiller who's going to keep whiskey in a barrel for 18 years? Jeez. I mean, that ta- that's commitment, right? No kidding. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so, so whenever you were thinking about growing. Like in, in producing more, do you have to plant a bigger field too, or are you going to bring in wines or nah, grapes would, from other places? I would or? bring in grapes from other places. Okay. Um, the, what's nice about uh, growing your own grapes is, and I and I have learned this through observation, um, as I go up and I meet with other growers and I try to negotiate some contracts or I want to buy some of these grapes this year or next year, um, one of the things that's really difficult is ga- gauging the quality of those grapes because mm-hmm. – you're going to want me to commit to buy your grapes a year in advance. Well, what price should we pay? And yeah. how good are they going to be? And when are we going to harvest them? Is it going to work with my my time schedule? Uh, it gets really complex when you're doing yeah. that. What's nice about growing your own grapes, even though it's a huge amount of work, but our grapes, I know everything that's been done to them. I know when they've been watered. Mm-hmm. I know... Uh, if what insecticides have been sprayed to keep the bugs out of the field or, or mm-hmm. did I need to spray fungicides at mm-hmm. certain times? I know everything that's happened. Yeah. And um, I also have a lot more control over when we're going to harvest them. So our, I would say our, our uh, hit ratio on getting it at the right time mm-hmm. is much higher in our fields than it is with someone else's. So the quality of our fruit goes up where the quality of the other grapes you guys is a little bit more hit or miss. They're still good, um, but you you tend to rely on certain growers that you trust, right? As you get into it, you build a relationship with them. Uh, some guys are really good at this, and some guys are maybe they're not so good at this, right? Yeah. Um, but that's why having your own grapes is really good. And so that like the sense. new field that I planted, even though it cost me money to plant the new field, the good news is it doesn't cost me. It's an incremental cost in terms of chemicals. It's, mm-hmm. it's an incremental cost in terms of water. Yeah. So these grapes that I planted are actually the cheapest grapes I'm going to get, right? I've already paid my, I've already paid right. for my tractor and all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to apply it to the new field. So it helps me overall lower my cost by planting that extra field. Right. But you're kind of limited, right? You can only do so much, and at some point you have to bump up and either hire more people or buy more land. Yeah. You know, then it can get really expensive. So I think the outlet is really, and a lot of wineries do that. That's why they buy their grapes. Mm-hmm. Let those guys do the grape thing, and then I'll just bring it in and make wine. Yeah. 
So okay. that's that's probably how we'll grow. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's very cool. Um, so what was it like for you? Uh, you mentioned it earlier, like COVID and it being like a difficult time. Like, what? how did you get through that? Because I know for us, you know, we had a whole bunch of events scheduled for, mm-hmm. what was it, uh, March. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember looking at that time of year and being like, I don't even know how we're going to do all this. This is more work than we can possibly handle. At the time, it was just me and my business partner, Logan, at the time, and we were just like, I don't, I don't, we're going to be so busy this week, more than we could possibly imagine. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and 80% of that business gone. was gone. Um, rescheduled or whatever. Eventually we got it back maybe. Um, but at the time we were like, man, I don't know how we're going to keep going. Um, I mean, the Lord still provided. We were still able to work. And um, every, honestly, during that time, our industry became even more useful because media became so prominent and people couldn't go out. So now they needed to do more videos. And so there was that brief period where we're like, oh, shoot. And then we're like, oh, wait, this is kind of good in some ways for us if we learn how to pivot and change what we're doing from events to, you know, other kinds of stuff. And so I know for y'all, you know, you weren't allowed to... Like there was weird stuff with alcohol even during that yes. time, and like delivering shut alcohol. down all the bars. And are we are yeah. we classified as a bar? Uh, yeah, it was it was very brutal. And you know the funny thing to me is I think we're only you know we're not even really out of the COVID uh, right. era yet. Yeah, but still, you know it. It's hard to think back to those times and really remember. Do you really remember how unknown everything was? We just mm-hmm. didn't know. Was this going to be uh, a real deal breaker? Was this really going to be devastating? Yeah. Or uh, to businesses or to people? I mean, you. It was pretty traumatic at the time, and I, I just remember that that feeling of uncertainty. And it's easy to forget that now because it seems like well, now we know all the details, and now yeah. we have vaccines and. Um, yeah, the funny thing I can remember is I got a call from, uh, it was just a person on the phone. I was working in the office one day, and a person called and asked to speak to the owner. And and one of the kids, the kids were still working. I actually had them pulling weeds because we didn't have any customers at the yeah. time. Right? Well, I, I take that back. This was early. We still had a few customers. We were still open. But a person called, did not identify themselves, and they just said, hey, are y'all going to be open this weekend? Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, we're going to be open from 1130 to 8. And they said, no, you won't. I thought, what an odd comment. And then <laughs> yeah. they said, uh, check into the Governor Abbott tomorrow on his press conference. And that next day, he shut down all the bars, right? Oh, man. Yeah. And, which shut down wineries. Yeah. Um, which is very peculiar. I don't know why somebody took the time to call uh, Little Podunk Cristobal Vineyards in the middle of all this. Just be just like, to, you're not going to be Just to be obnoxious. But, uh, but, but they were correct. Um, and I remember... Yes, it, every day was like, um, as my wife would say, as Wendy would always say, it's, it's just bob and weave, right? It's trying yeah. to duck and what's the next punch coming your way? Yeah, your tasting room is shut down. You're, you're doing to-go orders. Yeah. Uh, we were delivering uh, pizzas and wine, bottles of wine through the fence out the front. People would pull up. Yeah. Um, but it turned into a really cool thing. We kept our, our, our kids employed in our tasting room. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to hire a lot of college students. Um, we kept them employed, and they just came out and worked on the property. They literally pulled weeds with me because uh, we didn't want them to go broke while while COVID was going on. Sure. And, and then then the, the schools started to release. Angelo State started sending people home. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, then we didn't have employees. So yeah. then it was really just me and Wendy working. 
Uh, we were the only people there to, to do some of the work after some of the kids left. Some stayed through the whole thing. And if they stayed, we kept them working. Um, but it kind of got creative. We had this really nice moment, I can remember. So our property is 25 acres total. Okay. So it's six acres of grapes and a tasting room. But it's really beautiful and it's really kind of spread out. And I had... Uh, I think I got a call from one, and I think Wendy got a call from another local moms, moms in Cristobal. And they said, hey, our, our kids are going stir crazy. There's no school. The parks are closed. There's nothing. Can, can we just come out and let our kids run around on your property for a while? Can yeah. we just throw a football uh-huh. or something like that? And we said, yeah, come on out. And, yeah. But that's when the, kind of the light went off that said, hey, the, the, the hard part about, about COVID is personal contact. Mm-hmm. But you can distance. We can do social distancing on our property. Yeah. Right. So, yes, we could sell some wine, um, but we would only sell it to you to go. But you could go. We would allow you to go elsewhere on the property. So then kind of the little picnic mentality started up where people would come out and and maybe they would be 200, 500 yards away. Not 500 yards. That's too far. But 200 yards away from the tasting room. And they would have a picnic out in the vineyard. Yeah. And then they would text us if they needed something. Hey, can we get another bottle of wine or... Can we have a meat and cheese platter or something like yeah. that, charcuterie tray? So, and then we drive over there with a cart and set it down for them and stuff. It, yeah. it turned into kind of a cool little, a cool little moment. So, uh, and then, then the uh, I guess the government got a little smarter and they tried to reclassify some things. And yeah. the the TABC did a nice thing where they allowed us to reclassify. If you serve food, mm-hmm. then you weren't really a bar; you were a restaurant. Okay. And that would allow you to stay open. Okay. Uh, but then you still had to deal with all the social distancing things. Sure. A lot of people outside, everybody wearing masks. Plexiglass everywhere. Everywhere. Did you have to put that up in I your... didn't. We didn't have to put plexiglass okay. up because what we would do is just, yeah, we'd do it outside, mm-hmm. right, through the doors and stuff. So it, it, it worked out That's pretty good. well. But uh, it was a crazy time. And it's so weird. It, it's it's going to turn out to be one of my favorite times because one of them, I'd have to tell you, there's nothing better in the world and being in at Cristobal Vineyards at eight o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night when nobody else is around, because mm-hmm. it's literally the most beautiful place on earth, right? Yeah. And you just get to soak it in, and and you don't have to think about work so much. Or yeah. You don't have to deal with a wedding or a party. It's really yeah. nice. Some of my favorite times. That's awesome. I'm curious always, like, what is like one of the hardest things that you've overcome? And we might have already kind of covered that. And and what's like your favorite thing? Out, oh, of, out of this, like, we have not covered the hardest thing. I can okay. tell you the hardest. Yeah, thing. Yeah, what's the hardest thing? So this is kind of business background stuff. So, in order to be able to purchase the winery, my wife and I, we decided to do what's called a rollover for business startup, a four hundred one k rollover for business startup. Okay, it's a it's a pretty ingenious idea. It's a way to use your four hundred one k money to basically invest, so you can use your four hundred one k to invest in other companies. Mm-hmm. You could also use it to invest in your company. Okay. Um, here's the crazy part. In order to do that, my wife had been working for Medtronic for, I guess, 10 years at the time. I'd been working for Dow for 20 years. We had to quit our jobs in order to make the rollover. You can't roll over your 401k until you switch jobs, oh, right? Oh, man. Roll it into the new 401k. So we basically had to quit our jobs mm-hmm. before we signed the contract for the wine. So we had a a one month period where we had quit our jobs. We were fully committed. Yeah. There's, there's no going back to our jobs for us. Yeah. And this deal still wasn't inked, right? It wasn't dry. Right. And I can tell you that by far and away, that was the most stressful 30 days of my entire life. It was, uh, it was brutal. 
just um, waiting for that. And and that's towards because you said it took three years mm-hmm. to purchase the property. So yeah. is this towards the end of that three years? It like, literally okay. was. So we we started up in April, signed the paperwork on April second mm-hmm. to uh, to buy the business. Yeah. About thirty days before that, we had started our company. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a funny story behind that. So we go by we we do business as Cristobal Vineyards, but the name of our company is actually NIU Enterprises. Okay. And that's a funny story <clears throat> because when I started all this, again, I didn't, I don't know anything about starting a corporation or doing the paperwork and SBA loans and all this stuff. I had to learn everything, business yeah. plans, the whole enchilada. Oh, man, yeah. Um, the name of our company was going to be the White Rose Corporation because the White Rose was the first dance. It was the first date that my wife and I ever had. It was kind of a nostalgia thing. And, okay. Uh, and it was here in San Angelo. It was when we were in college. So I thought the White Rose Corporation was kind of uh, – a cool name mm-hmm. and kind of a tribute. Well, uh, Genius didn't do all the paperwork. I found out that the name was available at the time, but I didn't, I guess I didn't do all the paperwork to actually acquire the name. So we actually had all of our documentation, paperwork, and everything, even with the SBA, drawn up as the White Rose Corporation. Mm-hmm. But a lawyer, late, very late in the process, caught that it, it was not, we didn't own the name. Oh. And so when I tried to buy the name or apply to get the name, it was no longer available. No. So I literally had one day, I had the S- Small Business Administration waiting to get contracts signed. Um, and we didn't have a name for our company. Okay. And I literally had one day and I just panicked. And, and um, it was my mistake. I felt like a total idiot. So I used the only, what we, ha- we have a saying in our family for when, you, when you're like me and you try to work hard, but you still screw it up. Uh-huh. We call that neffing it up. Definitely. So uh, NIU uh-huh. means neffing it up enterprises. <laughs> and I had to come up with that name that day, and that that's became great. the name of our company. That's so, great. Yeah, that's, uh, that was very stressful. Yeah. But, oh, man. I, yeah. No, I, I understand that for sure. You get everything set up, you think you're good to go. You think you know what you're doing, yeah. and you find out, no, you really you don't. don't. Man, that is tough. So on the positive side, what, what do you feel like? Is, is just your favorite thing. Wow. Well, I mean, it, I, I, I love it's hard working with your spouse if you haven't done it before. It uh-huh. took a lot of adjustment, but I do okay. love it. Yeah. Right? We get to live there on the property, um, and, and everything we do feels tangible. When we go to work, it may be it's a golf cart ride, not a commute. Right. right? Yeah. We're on the property. Um, but I, I do love it because it's very tangible, and mm-hmm. it, you get to see the rewards of what you're doing. Uh, my wife manages most of the weddings. Mm-hmm. And like the tasting room events and stuff, so she's kind of the more customer facing side. I'm more the farming and the winemaking side, but both of us recognize that hey, when it goes well, you feel it right now. You feel it, and you feel it not in you don't feel it in your pocketbook. By the way, you don't get rich running a winery, yeah, um, but you do feel it in the people that you're with and the people that you meet. I mean, to have a wedding. There's, there's a couple of different weddings that that stand out in my mind that I, I go up and I sit and maybe I watch just kind of as an outsider, I'm just kind of monitoring what's going on, but I get to be a little part of people's best day. I mean, the wedding is a big deal to people mm-hmm. and I get to see that every week. I get to see love on display every week. I mean, that's kind of a cool thing. Or, um, we also joke that we didn't buy a funeral parlor. We bought a winery. I mean, people go there to have a good time. It's not a yeah. place for, uh, tears and sobs and crying. It's, yeah. it's kind of a celebration. So right. when you need to pick me up, 
walk out to the taste room because there's somebody there that's having a birthday or celebrating an anniversary. There's it's, it's good times. So to me, that's the best part of the gig. And you get to be a part of a little bitty part yeah. of all those people's good day. Right. So yeah. that kind of fires me up. That, that feels good. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I really, I can't think of anything else. I've learned so much today. Um, and get to experience a little bit more about your life and the, and the winery. So Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. Is there a place where if people want to either buy wine or find out more about you that they should go online or call? Or Sure, they should go to cristobalvineyards.com online mm-hmm. or Cristobal Vineyards on Facebook. Um, and again, you can come out to our property. It's uh, located in Cristobal, Texas. You can't miss it. There's basically one exit in Cristobal. We're right. we're it. You go one way to us and yeah. one way to Main Street. Um, come out to the taste room and try some wine. And we'll even if you don't like wine, if you even if you don't know wine, that doesn't matter. We're not into wine snobs. We're kind of here just to make wine more accessible to to everybody and hope hope you start loving wine after being with us. Yeah, at least go see the place and walk around. Yeah, you got to check it out. Yeah. It's pretty spectacular. It is amazing. So awesome. Well, thank, thank you, Bart. Appreciate it. Thanks. Don't forget to like this video if you enjoyed it and subscribe for more great content from business leaders in the West Texas area.